Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Right. But it was just, it was built into the fiber of my being somehow. Interesting. Largely because that's just what I saw. I mean, I saw people, all I knew were Christians, and all I knew were, honestly, largely white, middle-class Christians. I mean, we were all kind of, you know, living the same life, very good people who loved the Lord. But these were the things that that I was seeing around me, and it just became kind of ingrained that what you, you know, this is the Christian American dream. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome everybody to Paradox. Howdy. Jimbo, the pause. (laughs) I'm Josh. Yeah, I was going to let you do that first. (laughs) But see, we're not even going to edit that out, Shannon. Because we like realism here on Paradox. I love it. Um, We have with us today Shannon Martin, and she is a speaker, a blogger, a writer. She's a wife. She's a mother of, I was trying to count, like 40, 43, (laughs) lots of children. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm doing doing great. It's good to be here. We want to talk to you about your, uh, your new book. Uh, that is um, that is uh, being debuted even as we speak, called Falling yeah. Free. But before we do that, you know, you had an influence prior to writing the book. I'm always curious to ask people who were just, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm picking kids up, I'm doing things, and I don't know, I think I'll just go influence hundreds of thousands of people now. <laughs> how, how, how do you go from I'm picking up kids to I'm going to begin to blog and write books. Yeah. You know, it for me, it was a very slow trajectory, and it almost felt like it was just, like it wasn't a trajectory at all. It just felt very, very incremental. Um, I was working part-time. You know, I it's it's been a lot of transition. So I went from working full-time, and then we started a family, and I cut back a little bit, worked part-time from home, and our family continued to grow. And at some point in those early years of mothering, I started a blog just because my family is not local. And that typical answer, you know, I wanted to document my kids and be able to share that with my with my family. And, you know, eight or 10 years ago, that wasn't as easy to do as it is now. And so it seemed, it's hard to, to even imagine that this was the case, but that was really the way to do it, you know. You started a blog, and and that's how your family could kind of peer into your life and see pictures and those kinds of things. Um, Smartphones were not so much a thing back then, and it was just very different. So I started to do that, and I had no intention of anybody really joining me, anybody reading my blog. I by no means saw myself as a writer at that time. So I did not have any idea what was on the horizon for me, you know, eight years down the road. And I just started doing my thing. And I, it, it was an opportunity for me to begin to use my little crappy point and shoot camera 
and take pictures of, you know, what was going on in my everyday life. And I began to really see um, the goodness of God and God's love for me through those just little snapshots. And I began to see my world as I sort of photographed it and shared about it. And from then, I just started writing more and more and more and began to see over, you know, a couple of years in the beginning that maybe I had a knack for this writing thing. And so I just kept doing it. And it was a, it took a very long time to feel like anybody really cared, but it didn't really matter because it was, it was a really meaningful thing for me to do. And yeah. And then here we are. So you were blogging before blogging was cool. (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) Long before Jimbo could even spell blog. Exactly. You guys, uh, you and your husband, Corey, who is a jail chaplain, is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Boy, the stories he could tell. Right. Um, but you guys sort of did the opposite of what everyone is supposed to do. You live in the city, you become really, really successful, and you go buy a farm and you milk cows and you wave at trucks as they drive by. <laughs> you guys lived on a farm and then packed up all your kids and moved into the city and not just the city but a, a, a fairly difficult part of the city that had to be on purpose. Discuss that if you would. Yeah, it was, it was certainly on purpose, but it was, it was on purpose from a perspective that we did, we would probably never have chosen it on our own. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we, we did do all of those things. You know, we, we both had political jobs, jobs in federal politics at the time. We had lived in DC for a time um, we had come back to Indiana and bought our dream home out in the country on six acres, and we believed at the time that this is this is the life God has for us, and we have now, you know, the key sort of fit the lock, and it felt like this is this is home, and this will be home for a very long time. This is this is the goal that we had always had in mind for what we wanted our life to look like, and you know, our kids' childhoods to look like. And God just very much interrupted our ideas and sure. and quite abruptly told us that he had a different plan for us. And it, it took some time and it took some, um, you know, kind of shoving, our, shoving us around a little bit sure. emotionally and spiritually to get us to the place of understanding that our plans that we had made for ourselves were not God's plans that he had made for us and that we needed to come to a place of surrender and letting go of the life we always wanted to, in order to live the life that he had created us to live. So, yeah, he kind of pointed us in the direction of this city that we absolutely love. You know, we've been here for four years now. It doesn't feel quite so new. It's a beautiful city full of beautiful people. And we, we very clearly heard God say that he wanted us to be part of what was considered a declining neighborhood. So this isn't a super... Um, terrifying or urban experience that we're living. It's it's sure. very much a small, forgotten neighborhood, you know, kind of on the wrong side of the tracks. It's a little shabby, um, <laughs> and and that's where we were called. And so, honestly, we look back now and we kind of we're pretty embarrassed that we were so scared coming in. But I think that's yeah. that's the the course of the human heart. We're just afraid of what we don't know. Um, so we we came and we put our roots down and we're we're still we're still doing that work now. And you put that whole experience down in your new book that actually drops tomorrow, September twentieth, Falling Free. Uh, so tell us about that book. So Falling Free is going to tell 
the whole story. <laughs> um, it's, it can be difficult to summarize just in, you know, a short conversation because it was, sure. it was a very, it was a very long and slow and sometimes painful process of getting us from where we were, you know, where we were five years ago, you know, living very much the American dream, um, starting our family, which our, our children are all adopted. And so that was something that was outside of our plans. That was kind of the first thing that got our attention, like, oh, maybe our life isn't going to look exactly the way we thought it was. But this is awesome, too. Um, but we kind of thought that was the end. Like, that was our the big thing God had to surprise us. And so there were no more surprises after that. And what we didn't realize was that that was just the very beginning. Um, so Falling Free is going gonna, is gonna to tell all of that. So it's going to talk about our adoption experience. It's going to talk about our transition out of you know, these sort of high-profile political careers into um, much quieter and sort of surprising careers that we both have now. And it's going to talk about our move from the country to the city and coming to really love and, you know, walk towards the pain of our neighbor. Um, many of our neighbors are very, very much like we are. They're middle-class people, you know, just doing their best. And many mm -hmm. others of our neighbors are people struggling in and out of the criminal justice system and addiction and poverty and um, immigration issues and just all of that. So we've been kind of thrust into a world that's very different from the evangelical bubble that we grew up under. Sure. And we're just blown away by God's goodness here in this neighborhood and in this city. Absolutely. And what were some of the the, the circumstances that kind of God used to uh, knock y'all upside the head and kind of point you in a different direction? Yeah, the first thing he used was a sermon series by David Platt. So I think that's a pretty familiar name to most people now. You know, at the time, it was maybe six or close to seven years ago. We had never heard of David Platt. He had not written his book, Radical, which is kind of the book that sort of put him on, a, on the map in a bigger way. Right. But this was the sermon series that would eventually become the book, Radical. And we let me just preface that by saying my husband and I never in our lives had thought, well, you know, every night when the kids go to bed, we're going to sit on the couch and listen to a sermon series. <laughs> We've never done that before. It wasn't it like podcasts weren't even a thing. It was just like listening to this thing on our laptop, having no clue what we were getting ourselves into or why. But, you know, somebody that we trusted had just said, hey, we just listened to this listen and we this. think that sure. you guys should, too. And we did. And that first night, I mean, it was a long, it was like an eight part series. But that very first night, I remember just, you know, we shut it down when it was over and we kind of staggered into bed. We were very quiet and we weren't saying much, but we both just had this feeling of, Oh no, <laughs> you know, yeah. because he, he we, just, really we just point... can't go back. Right. We can't, we already knew, we knew immediately that we were in serious trouble and that things were not what they seemed and that nothing was going to stay the same. And we mm -hmm. just, and the Holy Spirit was just, you know, just saturating us with that truth. Um, we were kind of speechless. The next few months were, just a very slow, a slow progression of trying to figure out what does that mean? You know, so, so that sermon series opened our eyes to the fact that God wanted us to love our neighbor as much as we loved ourselves. And he wanted us to love and serve the poor and the overlooked and the marginalized. And what we realized pretty quickly was that we didn't know those people. 
We didn't mm-hmm. know how much we were those people. Mm-hmm. We didn't know our neighbors. Um, we didn't see the world in a very global sort of way that we're all kind of neighbors. You know, we're all, we all kind of belong to each other mm-hmm. in the kingdom of God. It was just, a, it was such a shift in perspective. And what we saw was that God's more for us was probably going to look like less in the eyes of yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. And it just, things started falling away and he stripped stuff away. And, you know, we just kept sinking lower and lower and lower. And so there were a lot of tears, a lot of confusion, a lot of being misunderstood by the people around us. And, you know, all of that, I talk about all of that in the book and it's just, yeah, that was the beginning of the place that, that we're now in. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because even hearing you describe, and as someone who's felt that that spirit's leading before, um, for me, there's immediate fear involved, <laughs> you know, and it's sad. Like there there shouldn't be right. It should just be trust. But um, and so even as you were talking, I felt you know a, a fear inside me, um, just kind of experiencing that in and of myself. Tell me kind of why you think people get so caught up and have difficulty uh, moving away from the American dream. I think it's it's taught to us. I can, I can only speak from my perspective and Corey's perspective. We were raised, you know, in different states, but with a very similar evangelical, you know, um, childhood where, you know, it's, it's hard to even say what all goes into it, but we both came from backgrounds that were, there was not a lot of diversity of culture, of thought, of, you know, religious practice. It was, we were, we were living in a very uniform society where we were all kind of doing the same thing. And there wasn't a lot of opportunity to think outside of that narrative. And, you know, for us, I think it became, it's, it's not so much that we were taught or that anybody ever said to me, Shannon, your job in life as a good Christian girl and as a future, you know, Christian woman is to make your life as safe and secure and financially yeah. successful as possible. Nobody we ever said that. Kids is an excuse, right? Uh, protect your kids. Right. But it was just, it was built into the fiber of my being somehow. Interesting. Largely because that's just what I saw. I mean, I saw people, all I knew were Christians, and all I knew were honestly, largely, white, middle-class Christians. I mean, we were all kind of, you know, living the same life, very good people who loved the Lord. But these were the things that that I was seeing around me, and it just became kind of ingrained that what you, you know, this is the Christian American dream where you, sure. you, you build those savings accounts and you provide for your family and you put your kids first, you put your family first. You want everything to be as peaceful and safe and secure as possible. And that's the, that's the path we were on. And so to, to begin to understand that we were really missing some things and we were getting some things wrong, I mean, that was painful. How do you feel like um, the American dream idea damages our relationship with God? For me, when you talked a moment ago about, you know, it's where we should feel trust, we're feeling fear. And I certainly agree with that. I mean, I was feeling a lot of fear. And what I was starting to understand was I did not know how to trust. I had not been in many situations where I had been required to trust. There's a verse in Isaiah that talks about, woe to you who warm yourselves by your own fires. And I, I think of that verse so often because I still catch myself building my own fires and warming myself by my own fires. You know, 
we were living a life that really allowed us to solve most of our problems on our own. And there was always this, you know, we, we went to church, we tithed, we were generous and we were as generous as we thought we could be, I think at the time. And we were doing all of these things that, you know, we were checking the right boxes and it wasn't just checking the right boxes. I mean, we loved the Lord. We, we saw the way he had provided a family for us where there should have been none. We've seen the way he had rescued our marriage early on out of the pit. I mean, we believed in him and we loved him, but in our daily everyday life, we had never lived in such a way that we really had to rely on him or where we had to say, we are scared, God, and we don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but you keep you keep leading us and we're going to keep following you. Yeah, it's it's I have this conversation with um, friends and family from time to time, but it's sad. And I every time I say this next part, I feel like I'm going to be struck by lightning, but I don't have to pray. You know, I, I don't I have to pray for when my next meal comes, the roof over my head. Um, you know, and it's sad and it, you know, America is not a country that the evil one is using genocide or mass disease or, you know, he's, he's using prosperity, um, that leads to, to apathy. So, you know, in, in, in individuals that, that want to challenge this American dream, um, want to get away from the spiritual apathy, you know, what, what would you tell somebody that would say, I mean, I just can't do that. I think that you can. <laughs> That's going to be the first thing that I'm going to say. Sure. I think that, that everybody's story is going to look a little bit different. And I think that's by God's amazing creative design. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't carve out one template and then squeeze us all through it. So everybody's, everybody's sacrifice is going to look a little bit different. But, but the gospel that I love calls us to surrender and to sacrifice. And I don't know what that's going to mean for other people. And I don't know what all it's going to still require of me. And that's a scary thought for me because, you know, we're now a little bit on the other side of things and we're much more comfortable. You know, the fear has largely subsided. We feel different emotions that can be hard to deal with sometimes, but we're not scared anymore. And, you know, things keep changing. So it's, it's constantly putting ourselves kind of backing ourselves into that corner of what can we be surrendering now? How can we be living our lives in such a way that we are not putting ourselves first in every possible way? You know, and I think God has, God has that for everybody. I think that's where he would like us to be is in a little bit of discomfort. You know, we are conditioned to, to make a wide, detour around pain, whether it's our own pain or the pain of other people. And that's something God keeps using to, in Corey and myself and in our family, sure. to show us the the beauty of walking towards somebody's pain instead of walking around it. And, you know, that's one of the things that we get to surrender is our own comfort. So I yeah. think, I think, I think this isn't something that is just a calling for some of us. I really believe in my heart that we all have got to find a way to love each other more and to belong to each other more and to know each other more. How did you guys, I'm assuming, um, moving into a smaller house, cutting finances, uh, dealing with maybe rougher schools, I assume those challenges brought um, some issues uh, maritally. Uh, How did y'all handle just not strangling each other? Right. That's a great question. Um, 
and you know, these are the things that that we still. I mean, I, I don't think that marriage ever, at least for my husband and I, marriage doesn't ever become so easy that it requires no <laughs> no um, regrouping and thought and prayer and discussion and all of those things. In one way, I think kind of taking on this adventure and kind of moving into the unknown, because honestly, when we, the, the initial steps of selling the farm and then moving to the city and then adopting our oldest son, who, so our oldest son is 22. He came to our family most recently while he was uh-huh. in prison. Right. Um, so that's a, that's a whole other story and it's all in the book, but you know, those initial steps, there was a lot of doubt swirling around us, not between Corey and myself, but from the outside, you know, coming in at us. So people who loved us and voiced a lot of concern, um, voiced a lot of skepticism. Mm -hmm. And it it honestly kind of galvanized our marriage in a way, because I think it was a defining moment of of realizing, you know, specifically when we're talking about moving from the farm, selling the farm, you know, it it made us pause for a minute and think, well, maybe we are getting something wrong. And then Mm -hmm. in the next beat, you know, the Holy Spirit is saying, Shannon and Corey, you guys are actual adults now, number one. <laughs> you might not feel like it yet, but you are. And it doesn't matter if nobody else understands that I'm calling you to this weird thing. I'm only speaking to you, and that is enough. And, you know, it kind of it, it pulled us closer together, and it pulled us in, and it kind of set us on this path of feeling in some ways, which was quite lonely, but feeling like we're alone in this, yeah. but we have each other in this. And that yeah. was, that did really wonderful things for our marriage, honestly. And just yep. being in ministry in this kind of weird um, neighboring sort of way, being part of, of, of something much bigger than ourselves has been yeah. really great for us. However, yes. the flip side of that is it's, you know, especially when we deal with issues with our oldest son, or, you know, we did some of that this weekend, and we're just human people. Corey and I are pretty different in some ways, and we see the world from different perspectives, and we have to have a lot of conversations about boundaries, and we don't always land in the same spot in a lot of those conversations. And, you know, so it's just, it requires us to to keep talking and to keep seeking God all the time. You mean it requires you to communicate in your marriage and pray? That is awful. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's something that we didn't really know before a lot of this. Like that was that goes back to what we talked about earlier. We just we weren't forced to face some of these hard things. And now that we are, it's hard and it causes some some angst between us sometimes, but ultimately, you know, it draws us closer to God. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually my follow up question was how have you seen it actually bless your marriage? And I and I think that there and there's scripture upon scripture that speaks to this, um, but but the trials and actually giving up um, and and following God's call, even when it and most of the time it does make things more difficult in this life, um, can actually have tremendous rewards. Not only just interpersonally and in connecting more with with our Creator, but um, but also maritally. Um, great, great words. And, you know, you, you heard Shannon talk about the very first radical, um, and that was certainly an important book in the world of Christian thought. Um, but this idea of falling free is just as important. Challenging that American dream, getting somewhere uncomfortable, 
um, and serving others at the end of the day, loving God and loving people um, and such a powerful, powerful thing. So we would encourage you to to read that book if you want more information about it. And again, it releases tomorrow, uh, September 20th. Uh, you can go to fallingfreebook.com. If you want to check out uh, Shannon's blog, you can go to shannonmartinwrites.com. You can also follow her on Facebook at Shannon Martin Writes, and then Twitter and Instagram is Shannon Writes. Shannon, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you so much, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Man, she was fantastic. Uh, Shannon Martin. I loved her talk about the American dream. Um, and obviously her book kind of revolves around the fact that we need to, to get away from that mindset. And obviously it's easier said than done. Um, you know, there is concern that we do want to try to protect our kids. Um, and, you know, we want to try to set them up for life with a good education. So moving to a good school district. And we want the safest cars and maybe those are more expensive. So there's this idea that we're actually doing what is best for our family by insulating it um, financially and culturally, um, but in a lot of ways. And this is something my wife and I are wrestling with um, and, and hopefully will um, until our dying day. But there's a lot of ways that that creates spiritual apathy. Um and even if we do, right, we white-knuckle it and we pray even though we don't feel like it, there can be this, this just spiritual dryness that so many—I know I have felt it and feel it some, and talking, talking to friends, they feel it as well. The spiritual dryness because there's a, a lack of felt need spiritually within America— um, and Shannon's book would be an incredible resource to not only hear her story, but also to, to wrestle with these ideas yourself and to figure out how you as an individual or you as a family um, can, can put away that ideal, um, challenge yourself, follow God where he's calling, um, get uncomfortable, and then what you might find even though hopefully this isn't necessarily the goal, but what you might find is actually more joy, more contentment, uh, more connection with your family instead of uh, chasing this, this, this facade that is the American dream. So I loved her American dream, the spiritual apathy piece, um, and the fact that she said, this is not just my call, this is everyone's call. So guys, check out her book. If you want more about this show, and obviously we'll have links to her, um, her social media as well as her website at paradoxpodcast.com. Uh, we do show notes for every single show, so definitely uh, look us up there. You can find the show on um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's Doc's Podcast. You can find me on those three platforms as well. It is um, Doc Josh Myers. Go check us out there. We hope that you enjoyed the show and be looking for um, more great shows the following week. Take care. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Gar. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Your child should not have that much power over you to be able to manipulate your emotions. If you think about it, if your child, by what they do or say, can 
cause you to be angry. And again, one of my pet peeves is nothing makes you angry. We have to be in charge of our own emotions. We say that all the time. Boy, she just makes me so angry. Or that kid can push my buttons. All that tells me is you have buttons to push.